This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet or visit esv.org to get started. Welcome to Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for resolute hope in an anxious age. I'm your host, Colin Hansen, and each week I'm joined by insightful guests to talk about their written work and how the gospel applies to all of life. Together, we keep looking until we see God working. Wherever you're listening, welcome. I'm glad you're here for today's conversation. Everything just hits you differently as a parent. As a parent, you just can't think of yourself first any longer. Your whole outlook changes. You shift priorities to ensuring a future for your children. So what happens when you get diagnosed in April 2021 at age 33 with a rare form of cancer? So rare, in fact, that the odds of contracting it are 25 million to one. What happens when the doctors can't tell you if you have five months or five years to live? And what happens with your son, born at the end of March 2020 at the outset of a global pandemic? That's the story of Jonathan Charks, who has covered basketball for The Ringer since 2016 and is a host on The Ringer NBA show. He loves Jesus and Dallas, in that order. And he wrote about cancer, his son, and his church in a remarkable essay for The Ringer called, Does My Son know you. I've never read anything like it in mainstream media, let alone sports media. And I especially took notice when The Ringer's founder, Bill Simmons, commended the essay. Uh, Jonathan concludes this way, quote, I have already told some of my friends, when I see you in heaven, there's only one thing I'm going to ask. Were you good to my son and my wife? Were you there for them? Does my son know you? Well, Jonathan joins me on Gospelbound to discuss basketball, his journalistic career, and the reception to his memorable essay. Jonathan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Well, Jonathan, let's just start with the obvious here. What's the, what's the latest with your health? Um, it's not good. Uh, I have terminal cancer. The doctors don't have a ton of uh, faith, and they're not too optimistic, but it's, um, you know, doctors only know so much, which they'll even admit themselves. But it's, uh, yeah, it's not great. Well, again, I... I think a lot of people certainly learned about your situation, your illness from the essay, and I know are, are praying for you and, and trusting the Lord to do his will in your life. And uh, again, thanks for taking the time to do this. Now, in an earlier life, I I was that person who waited on every bombshell report from Peter Gammons and Chris Mortensen and set aside an hour each week, at least an hour each week, to read the Sports Guy Mailbag by Bill Simmons. But after journalism at school, I, I headed toward ministry. You took the path to sports media. Tell us a little bit about what that what that path looked like. I worked in since like high school with a school paper, college paper, all that stuff. Um, then for me, what it really was, because I, I played basketball my whole life also, it was kind of combining those two passions into one thing. I figured, oh, I probably played more, played more sports than most of the guys covering it. And then conversely... Probably written more than most of the guys who play it. 
let me combine those two interests that worked out. I was able to create a career for myself with it. Was it a, I mean, was it, was it kind of a surprise or did everything unfold neatly? I mean, I get a lot of journalism students who come in, they want to know. And I say, it's the best of times, worst of times I find where there's, there's more jobs, I think kind of all over the place and you can make of it what you want, but there's no clear path. What was, was your, was your path clearer? Not at all. It was, it's a tough industry for sure. And it's always changing. So it's hard to, as you said, it's hard to have a path because media is always changing. I mean, like my company is now primarily a podcast company, the regular podcast. I mean, really, I graduated college in 2009. I think podcasts had barely even existed back then. Maybe they had just started. And now that's like the primary way I make my living. You know, there's no set path. Uh, I several times almost got out of journalism. I had a day job for a lot of my 20s, just doing various different things to make a living. Really, I feel like it was the hand of God in my life that really allowed me to have this as a career. I remember that's the advice I always give people is ultimately like wherever God will have you, um, however God uses you is the best, obviously. And I I remember praying at some point along the rails, like, I'd love to do this as a career. And if I do this as a career, I promise to point back to you if I have given a platform. And it worked out way more than I ever thought was possible. That's for sure. You seem to have a strong relationship with your with your founder, boss, Bill Simmons. Tell us a little bit about that. Again, I've been reading Bill for, I mean, it feels like 20 years. It's got to be 20 years now. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, Bill's a great guy. Uh, you know, a lot of it, he's just, you know, he likes to put people on his employees on a show. So a lot of it's just being on a show talking about basketball. But I mean, he's, a, he's an awesome boss. I certainly can't complain. Tell us a little bit about what you especially love about basketball. I I consider you the maestro of matchups. That seems to be your thing, the maestro of matchups. You can add that to your Twitter bio if you want. Um, I mean, you really, you specialize, at least in how I understand your reading, and how players fit together on the court based on analytics. So just tell us a little bit about your love for basketball. Oh, sure. I mean, I just grew up playing it. You know, I think most, like with most sports, I think it's, it, it has to start with playing, I think, more, more often than not anyways. It's just you grow up as a little kid playing, you play all the time, and you just kind of, kind of through osmosis, uh, you learn about what's going on. I think, what, I think what's so cool about basketball compared to most sports, I think it's like the perfect blend of the individual sport and the team sport. So obviously on one end you have like golf and tennis, that's just an individual Opposite end, you have like football, 53 guys, baseball, 25 guys. Basketball is only 12 and you only play like seven usually. So it's like the star is the most important player, but there are still the team. And how you kind of balance that dynamic of individual success versus team success. I just find it so fascinating. It's like basketball, you're always put on a spot, like on any team you're on, because you're always having to balance how do I maximize my individual success versus what's best for the team? You know, do I want to be quote unquote selfish? Do I look out for myself or do I sacrifice? And there's no easy answer for these questions. And it's always changing. Teams always change. Roles always change. And I just find that dynamic so fascinating. Well, at the risk of uh, turning it in a in a strange direction, that's a little bit like what running a website 
is like journalistically. Right, I mean, it's about, I mean, it's about individuals because you've got to have the folks who can really do the work, who can host the podcast, who can write the article. You got to have the behind the scenes people as well. But also, if you don't have a bunch of people who fit well together, it doesn't it doesn't work. Um, it's just one guy's Twitter account in that case. What's uh, what's sort of just the work culture like for the Ringer? I think it's changed a lot with the pandemic. Uh, you don't used to do a lot more in person collaborate. I used to like so the company's based in LA and I'm based in Dallas and I would fly out there a lot. Since the pandemic, we didn't really haven't really done much of that, so it's way more kind of slack group chat video chat i I would say with the ringer one thing i really enjoy about it one thing they do a very good job of is just kind of empowering like they trust they're they're very big on like trust and empowering somebody okay if we hire you we believe in you and we want the best version of yourself like on our product because that's going to be better for everyone so we want to encourage you to find your own lane a good example of that is like um, a coworker of mine named Claire McNear. She, I don't know how much, if you know much about her, but like she wrote a really popular book about Jeopardy last year. And then she broke the story about the new Jeopardy host right. and the whole controversy. Followed all that, yeah. And she essentially like created her own job of like, I'm going to cover Jeopardy like we cover sports. <laughs> and like, who would have thought of that? And now she's, it's like, She's the biggest Jeopardy writer in the world. And like, that's just because she was passionate about it. She's able to like give that information to people in a compelling way. So we're like, I might, I don't personally watch Jeopardy, but I might read Claire write about Jeopardy because it's interesting. And I think that's kind of like the ethos of the, of the company is like, if we hire you and you find something interesting, let's find a way to get that to people. Cause if you find it interesting, other folks might find it interesting. Conversely, if you don't find it interesting, no one else is either. And that's what happens in media a lot too, is sometimes people, you kind of get stuck in a job and you lose your passion for it. And there's, if there's one thing that's obvious is when someone's covering a sport or a team or a subject and they're just kind of mailing it in and they don't care about it, like you can tell as a reader or a listener, and if they don't care about it, then certainly your audience ain't gonna care about it either. Yeah. Well, Bill, Bill Simmons is a is a true pioneer in media. There's just there's no doubt about that because I think he, I mean, he invented multiple genres. I mean, I, I I'm one of those people. I don't I don't care about sports. Uh, I don't care about Boston sports. I'm saying, but for that time period, not only does he innovate so much of what we see, and continue to innovate, especially with podcasts and how successful he's been more successful on that than anything else. But it is so interesting that what we've learned to watch, it's, it's kind of like the old um, Fox broadcasts of Wrigley Field or Fenway Park, where they realized that the crowd was actually more interesting than what was on the field. Um, that, like watching Bill be a fan of his teams is more interesting than the teams in some way, especially during that time period at the beginning of the Pats dynasty. And then with the Red Sox, not having a one, a world series, the, you know, the babe curse and babe Ruth curse and all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, I can see how that ethos has played out in all those different ways um, through, you know, through your company and, and, and as over time. And I mean, maybe that, I guess that maybe that explains a little bit, but I mean, why did the ringer let you publish this particular essay? Certainly it's something that would have been um, loved and everybody, w- I mean, everybody would have expected it at the gospel coalition. They would not have expected it with the ringer. Yeah. I mean, I think 
kind of what we were saying is they published it because I wanted to write it. And they were like, okay, if you're passionate about this, and I think it got a, it got a pretty big response. So I think it worked out for them. And um, yeah, just like if you're passionate about it and you can present it in a compelling way, we'll just publish it and figure the rest out from there is kind of their attitude. And yeah, I'm very grateful, obviously. I think because of the different, obviously it's not a Christian themed website. And so that's able to reach a different kind of audience than, a Christian audience. And so I think I'm very grateful for that. And that's been like one of the few, I don't know the right word, consolations or bright spots about this whole experience for me is the ability to talk about God in a very different setting and to use this story to kind of, you know, point people back to God is ultimately the hope. Well, most, uh, most of my work and including in this podcast concerns how to how to introduce people to Jesus, how to talk to them about Jesus in ways that they'll connect with. And one of the things I've, I mean, I'll probably use your essay in my, in my class on apologetics next time I, I teach it because, well, well, one of the things I've noticed is that people can deflect so many different things in this culture as if it has no effect on them, but not suffering. And there's, and, and also you know, the dynamics of parenting. I mean, uh, again, reading Bill all these years, Bill has talked a lot, especially when his kids were young, about parenting. And, and just sort of, no matter how you might, no matter what your religious beliefs might be, there's still a common grace of love for your kids. And so you brought those brought those two things together. Now, what, what's the feedback been that you've received and i'd say especially from people who who don't claim any faith in jesus uh you know it's hard to say i try to stay out it's like I, I i found personally like i'm not really on social media anymore i found to be more hurtful than helpful yeah, in my true. line of work very true. so i mean like it's a little removed i know I get emails and stuff and it's funny sometimes a lot of people will say stuff like, well, I'm not religious, but <laughs> they, love, they love to say that I'm not religious. I'm not a religious person myself per se, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's like, it's kind of, and that's what I don't, I don't really have a great answer for. I guess for me, I wasn't religious growing up either, but I never really looked at it like that. But I know there's a very much a very common frame in our society. It's like, oh, there's religious people. And there's me and there's everyone else. And I don't really know about that world. So there was a lot of that. I think, yeah, I think as you kind of said too, it's like, there is something like universal, especially once you have kids. Um, that's kind of like a, you know, it's a cliche, but it's true. You have kids? Yes. Three kids. Yeah. So seven, seven, four and nine months. Oh, well, there you go. I know. Yeah, I mean, there's something, it's true, right? It yeah. does change your life. It does change your perspective. It does, um, yeah, force you to be outside yourself a little bit and kind of give yourself a different kind of more future-oriented view. And so I think, yeah, a lot of people responded to that. And it's, it's one thing like, you know, it's one thing you don't think, want to think about. That was like the hardest part for me about writing about all this stuff is you're kind of having to acknowledge it. It's like, if you don't, sometimes you don't put it down. It's like, oh, well, but once you put it on paper and put it out there, it's like, no, this is real. This is really happening. Like there's no getting around it. But I think it's all that to say, like, yeah, I think it's like, okay, how do I best plan for my kids' future, take care of my kids? And like, what is the best way to set them up for success? One of the things I also love to, to read about and write about and teach about is just community. 
So you had your your essay touches on just the most vulnerable aspects of of suffering, uh, as well as of community and why. I mean, this one thing that stood out to me: why can't our friends be our family, like we see on the on the sitcoms? Why doesn't it just work out like on Cheers or Friends or whatever is more current? Yeah, I think I think structure is important. I think there needs to be some kind of structure. Um, it's just too there's too much going on in our in our world. There's too much happening. People are always, you know, what happens is like we always say in the church, um, you know, see, do you say seasons of life? Oh, say? Yeah. That's your expression. <laughs> We've uh, we we published a book called Seasons. Hey, there you go. Waiting. Uh, by oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so like a lot of times, what happens? I think not my experience. I don't think is anything unusual in that. It's like you have. I have some friends I still hang out with from when I was a kid, but then it's just like things change. People move, they get promotions, they get families, they get busy. And it's like, if there's not that structure without that community aspect, it's just very easy, especially in our culture to just kind of isolate. And as you get older, people just kind of drift apart. And there's, I think what it is, is like, there's nothing, our culture has nothing bringing people back together. Right. Everything. It's just always driving you apart. Right. There's always things. Oh, this person said this on social media. We can't be friends anymore or whatever. Right. There's a million things driving people apart and there's nothing bringing us together. And I think that's what like the church community does. And I think, you know, bigger than that, even I know for me, I think a lot of people talk about this. I've certainly felt in myself is after you have high school and you have college, and in those settings, like you're part of this bigger network of people. I, you're placed somewhere like, oh, I'm a sophomore at Texas. I'm in this frat. I'm in this student organization. I have a place. I'm part of something. And people know me through being part of this thing. But then after college, it just kind of drifts away and you have a job. But that's a small part of it, right? And it's like, they're not, you're not part of a network. You're not part of something bigger than yourself. And that's what the church can provide. It's like, okay, no, I'm part of this church. I've been here for X years. I know all these people and people come, people go, but there's this broader network of people who are involved in my life who will notice if I'm gone, right? Like get fired for, you lose your job. And it's like, well, you're not coming to work anymore. And then who's keeping track of you? Who's noticing when you're gone? Who's noticing, who's picking you up? It's very easy to slip through the cracks. And you see that a lot in our society. It's a lot of slipping through the cracks. No, no I, I, I could also probably hand out your, your essay in church membership. Uh, you know, in, in my church, we, we put a lot of emphasis on these, on these life groups. And one of the things I've noticed in these life groups is that it helps you because they're not people that you necessarily would choose by affinity to be your friends. It's not because you have a bunch of things in common. It's that you have Jesus in common and that you have that church in common. And then you become close because you spend time together <laughs> talking about those things and praying about those things. Tell me a little bit more about how you see you know, your life group through church as being different from what most people experience without it in this world. I remember like what really stood out to me. Uh, so I, I became a Christian probably like, I don't know, 25, 20, somewhere in there. And then like at my, ch my first church, my church I still had now, and then it was like with life groups and all this stuff. And I just had this sense 
at some point along the way, after I'd been kind of plugged in for a while and I was just like, oh man, this will be part of my life forever if I want it to be. Like, oh, if, if, I, if I do end up moving for work, well, I'm going to go plug myself into a church wherever I end up. Okay. There will always be these people in my life now, even if it's not these people necessarily today. But it's like, oh, this is something I can always plug into. And that was something that was not available to me before. I mean, I think for me, like being a young guy moving around a lot after college, the closest thing I had to that was like pickup basketball. So, okay, if I join and if I go to a new city, well, I'll start playing pickup basketball. I'll meet people that way. But that's, you know, it's very limiting. It's a certain type of person. You got to be in pretty good shape physically, obviously, to do that. And there's a, there's a lifespan on that. And it's just like, yeah, like the world's a really lonely place. Our society is a very, it's a very lonely place sometimes, a lot of times. I just remember thinking, oh, this, this, what this is right here, this weekly gathering, this chance to pray for each other, love on each other. It's like, wow, this could be part of my life forever. I can always have this. And it was like, wow, that, that was really powerful for me. Explain what you mean by relational insurance. Okay. Yeah. So I talked about that in the piece. So kind of the basic gist of it was when you get the kind of diagnosis I received, the doctors are, you know, they want to pull you. Okay. Well, obviously like your medical insurance, right? That becomes very important. Okay. Medical insurance. How are you going to pay for all this treatment? Life insurance. Well, if you're not going to, how are you going to support your family after you're gone? Like what kind of insurance do you have? And the thing that really struck me was, okay, that stuff's important, but it's not as important as the relational hole that your absence would leave in your family. And, and I talk about that in the piece because, so I've kind of been on both ends of it now. Growing up when I was a kid, my father had Parkinson's and he was not around much for me growing up because he was so sick all the time. And then I remember what really stood out to me looking back on it, especially was, man, there were just not a lot of people in my life growing up because my dad was sick all the time. There was just, he wasn't working. He wasn't in a church. People just, and kind of, we talked about earlier, like, oh, friends, like friends just kind of melt away after a while without that like common bond. And like all of my dad's friends, they're people he had met. Like, he was a big tennis player. Like, he loves sports. He had met this, these people like hiking, swimming, playing tennis. And then as he gets sicker and sicker, these people kind of drift away. Like, dude, I mean, I don't, no one like to blame anyone or anything, but like, it's just how it goes, it's just how it is. And then like, there's fewer and fewer people in our lives, in my life, in my mom's life. Just that, that hole is bigger and bigger. And that's kind of the idea of like relational insurance. It was like, okay. I want there to be men in my son's life as I, as he gets older, if I'm not going to be around like, okay, how can I give him relational insurance? How can I set it up as best I can to have people in his life when he's older? And the answer for me was church, church community plugging in and as best I can kind of like we talked about at the top of my piece is like, okay, I have these friends at church. Well, that's great. Well, we want to be there for you and your family. Okay. Okay. Like, that's great. Like, I want you to be there for my family. This is why it's important to me. Like, 
this is what I'm going to ask of you. It's like, I'm leaving these people basically in your care because they're not going to necessarily be in my care forever at this point. I have to look forward a bit and say, okay, how can I give my wife and my son relational insurance? And the answer is plugging into church as much as possible. Yeah. Well, now you, you acknowledge that can't, and this is part of why I also think the, the piece was so, it just connected with me and connected to so many other people is that it was very powerful, vulnerable, encouraging and hopeful in some ways, but just real. And you acknowledge that cancer hasn't brought you closer to God, not in any kind of way that you can identify or feel. Have you felt pressure that it should or, or at least just hoped that it would? Yeah, I think it's um, it's one of those things like, I know the opportunity is available for that. And that would be the best outcome from it. And it's like, I have something I'm trying to work towards for sure. It's like getting better at that and spending more time. I'm actually like on an indefinite leave from work right now. Okay. And then it's like, well, that should, now I have less excuse, right? (laughs) Like There's there's no reason for me not to have a good quiet time every day anymore. That's for sure. And I, and I think it's just, it's just hard. There's a lot of like unresolved feelings. It's hard because it's like, ultimately it's hard to accept, right? It's very easy to accept when God's will for your life is to be a nationally renowned sports writer. Well, that's cool. Like that's my will for my life too. So I'm glad when that happens, Oh, God's will for my life is to have his wife and the son and to have a house and have a career. It's like, well, that's very easy to accept obviously, but Hey, when God's will for your life is to have terminal cancer it's it's harder to accept it's like a very it's a very um kind of puts you on a spot a little bit too like okay well what do you really believe is good is true and is good about the world and what do you like yeah like it's easy to believe when things are going well but when things are you know kind of the book of job and all that right i think for me like What's been most helpful is kind of i would say is like you know what they says in like the first john talks about the love of God is manifested in each other. Like we know God's love because we love each other. You can't, you can't love God who you haven't seen if you don't love your brother who you do see. So for me, that's been like the most encouraging part in terms of my relationship with God is just the way God has loved me through other people throughout the situation, I would say probably. Yeah. What do you, um? I mean, this is one of those, it's a big question. I don't expect necessarily some sort of big answer, but it's what do you want Christians? I mean, so many people who read that piece, I mean, you got millions of followers from Ms. Bill Simmons on social media who are checking that out, who would not claim to be believers in Christ. But if you're talking to Christians, what would you want Christians to learn about God and his church from, from your life and work? You just got to plug in. Like you've got to make it a priority in your life. And I think, you know, for me, being a convert is a little easier in that sense. Yeah. Because, you know, I always say the convert has the energy, right? <laughs> but like, it's like, okay, this has to be a priority. I think a lot of times it's very easy for church to be like, oh, it's something I should do. It's on my list of things I should do. I'll go when I can. I'll do what I can for it. And just like it slowly as time goes on, it just like knocks down the priority list. And that's something with community, especially like for me and my wife, that was always like the most important thing is like, we're going to commit to doing this once a week, twice a week, 
no matter what. This is the most important thing, being part of this church. And I think if you're not part of that kind of church community, especially in our society, it's just like, it's just going to kind of go away after time. If there's not a strong enough bond, it's going to get broken apart. I think that for me is like the most important thing is just to prioritize. And it's hard, right? Like it's hard some weeks, especially when you have kids, you're tired. Kids are, they don't want to do it. You know, it's like, it's very easy quickly for it to go from, I'm going every week. I go when I can. I'm actually, I've seen with friends all the time. And the next thing you know, you haven't seen them in four or five months. And they're like, not even really in church anymore. It's, it happens that quickly if you don't prioritize it. And I mean, that obviously goes with like quiet time with God too. And that's something I need to get better at myself personally. But like, that is the thing is like, what, and ultimately it's like, what do you prioritize in your life? And right, actions speak louder than words. And you might, oh, I'm a Christian and I'll believe all this stuff. And I say all these things and that's great. But ultimately your heart is your actions. And that's really tells the tale. And it's like, and for me, I know it's like, I know for me, if I wouldn't have done all these things before I got sick, I don't know where my life would be right now. I don't know where my family would be right now. And it's like, and that's the thing too, is you just never know some of relational insurance. Like you just never know what's how your life is going to go in a certain way. And you have to set up guardrails, not just for yourself, but for your family. That's like, in case something happens to you, because you just never know. And people like, I don't know way I'm like, for as awful as this has been, is like, I'm lucky in a sense that at least I was given forewarning, right? People die all the time, you know, car accidents, a million things can happen. Like, you know, James, like, you never know what God's going to have for you or what your, how many days you've been numbered, right? You just never know. And you can't assume. Yeah, no, no, you certainly cannot assume at all. I mean, that's, yeah, you, you bring together so many different themes here. One of the things I've, I've I've written about in in a book called Rediscover Church is my experience working with uh, people in churches and in and in life groups and I just say look you're gonna get everything you want out of this group if you just show up and ask how you can help there's really nothing more complicated than that I mean and that's the relational insurance is that if you if you just show up and you ask how you can help everything in terms of your relationship with God, friendships, preparing even for the worst, like you're experiencing, it'll all follow. But if you don't do that, if you don't show up and you're not looking to other people and how to help them, nothing else is going to matter. Yeah, that's that's the amazing thing. That's the, I think the way God moves in our life so much, kind of we talked about earlier, is like bring people together who you not necessarily would normally do that. And that's something for me, I think is really helped me just in my job as a writer is being in life group is learning how to build relationships and connect with people whom you might not otherwise do that. And that, and that's so much of it too, right? Like talks about, you know, with King David, he says, God doesn't see the things everyone else sees. He sees the heart and like in your own heart and your own life, you might pursue people for relate. That's something about all the time is like, you you might think these people be great friends. Like these are the people we want to hang out with. And so often it's not, it's like, cause either you don't know who they really, it, God, you don't see their heart. God sees their heart and God can bring people 
into your life who you never would have thought twice about, who you would have completely overlooked and totally changed your life and how you look at things because God just sees things differently than the way people see things. And God, when you, you, when you like plug into church and you meet different people in church, it's like you just can be blessed in ways you'd never imagined by people who you never would suspect would otherwise do that because you're God seeing them, seeing things in them who you might not other, you would never see. And conversely, God seeing things in you that you you would never think about yourself and putting you in positions you would never otherwise do. Do you think, Jonathan, much about what situation you'd be in now if you had not come to faith in Jesus? Um, there was a, a friend of uh, – I'd, I'd interviewed here before on Gospel Bound named Lyman Stone. He talks about how as Christians we need to be more open about the benefits of following Christ. Um, and, and not, and we know ultimately it's an eternal situation and, and we don't convert some from sort of like, you know, cause of the great discounts we get, um, on things. But at the same time, you didn't get this terrible disease because you're a Christian. You know, sometimes there's persecution because of what we believe as Christians. And okay, that's understandable. But like with all those people who write you saying, I'm not religious, but. I'm sure it's because they can identify. This didn't happen to you because of you being a Christian. It happened because we live in a fallen world. And so I'm just wondering, do you, do you ever think about, you know, where would I be right now? I mean, and to say your career was still going great and all that kind of stuff, where would you be if you didn't know Christ? Well, I mean, yes, I have. I do think about that sometimes. Um, it's it's scary. To, I mean, like the, the practical level of it is um, – you know, it's like I still have friends from growing up who I still keep in touch with. But it's like, man, you'd be putting so many eggs into such few baskets, like in terms of support. If Man, if I was depending on my like two friends from high school to like, you know, the people, I have, it's like, man, that just wouldn't be enough. I wouldn't be able to get through this or as best I can. And then obviously there's the bigger stuff, too, is like, man. It's it's very when you're faced with your own mortality, when the doctors tell you you have months to live and it's like, man, I'm glad I have hope in something more than just these months. I'm glad there's something beyond what I'm looking at. And then ultimately, right. Gosh, if I didn't have this faith in something beyond myself and where would I be going? You know, like ultimately that's where that's the ultimate question for any of us. And I'm like, man. I'm just so grateful that God, you know, I, I often wonder about that because like, I'm, I'm very lucky in a sense that not many people become Christians after college to be 24, 25 and God moving in my life in such a direct way to make me a Christian. I'm like, man, it's weird sometimes. Like, what was God's plan for my life this whole time? You know, <laughs> you look back on it like, whoa, man, that's not where I thought it was going. That's for sure. Well, I think in a lot of ways, Jonathan, that, that, um, what I connected with in Bill Simmons' writing was somebody, I, I'm not Gen X, I'm kind of that eldest millennial type there, but but I felt like he captured the mood of that generation of Gen X, those dynamics there. But a lot of what you pulled together in that essay, and just what you're talking about here, is very distinctive to what it's like to be a millennial, uh, to be to be to make it in your job in a in a transformed atmosphere, you know, landscape. Uh, vocational landscape to be be trying to make it as a young person in a large city 
trying to piece together a network of friendships, but ultimately experiencing that this way of life that we've patterned makes a lot of sense when you're a student. It's not there when you graduate. And so no surprise that so many in, if I might say, in our generation have lost their way and wouldn't know what to do in your situation because they've become so disconnected from patterns of life that they took for granted or didn't even know about. So I guess that's something, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that's another thing that just stood out to me of how you brought together so many of those different themes that I think millennials especially would identify with. Yeah, I think um, all the kind of what you're talking about is along the lines of like, oh, what is like the takeaways for the church and all? I think it's like, hey, it's okay to be explicitly countercultural. Yeah. And not and not countercultural right. in the sense that I'm not going to vote for everyone else is voting for. Like that's not really countercultural. Like countercultural is saying like this way of life we've been given that our society has is broken and not working. And we're offering something else. Like I'm not, we're not offering a watered down version of what you can already get in the world. Like that's never going to work. That's pointless. It's like, no, I believe in these firm truths and I believe these truths can impact my, will change my, I, I seen it change my life in these ways and I'm going to live this life and I'm not going to go with the current, go with the tide and it was like, yeah, it's like, it's very, it's easy in a sense to be quote unquote countercultural on social media, but it's like the countercultural thing is to turn off social media and live a real life with real people. And that's what is going to a last in our modern society. That that's, what's going to last is the church is those connections and B that's, what's appealing to people. Like if you're offering them a watered down thing of what they already have, who wants watered down, right? Like I'm offering you something different. And this different thing, maybe it is for you, maybe it isn't, but it is different. And I believe this is the better way. And I think I, I would say that's probably too kind of, I think in the church, it's so easy to get caught up and like, oh, I want to be relevant to the culture. I want to be connected to the culture. And it's like, I've lived in the culture. The culture sucks. Like, it's not something, whatever, man, it doesn't matter. So I that that I would I would say that too is just like okay what do we really believe what is different about the way I live compared to the people who aren't in the church and if there's not a great answer for that then you're not really doing enough like you're not if if your life isn't different than your friends lives who aren't believers then what's really going on where's the fruit you know where's the fruit and like there's such a good fruit it's right there for you we're not you're not you're not being asked to do like just show up at church, man, and and talk to people. That's all you got to do. <laughs> even even a bunch of millennials, we can do this. Um, yeah, not uh, yeah, Jonathan, not watered down, but the water of life. Um, there you that, go. Where, that it'll never be thirsty, or we'll never be thirsty again. Exactly what Jesus tells the woman at the well. Beautiful there. Well, I've been talking here with Jonathan Charks uh, from The Ringer. Talking about his essay, Does My Son Know You? i got a final three for Jonathan here. Uh, the first is, how do you find calm, Jonathan, in the storm? Ooh, God, I wish I had a better answer for you, honestly. It's been a, t- it's been a tough season. Um, I think just the word is like, just, okay, a lot of times it's like it's really hard to know with quiet time and with God, it's such a 
traumatic emotional experience, but it's like, okay, I can read this. I can be part of something that goes back thousands of years. I can put myself in the shoe of these people writing these letters and reading these letters. And it's just like, it kind of centers you and how, okay, this is something bigger than myself and my story. Like, and I've got to be part of something. I, I, I found that to be helpful. Hey man, where do you find good news today as a journalist? <laughs> okay. My answer to that is turning off the news. Yeah. That's a whole different, <laughs> I really, I really, something I've found in my experience, I think the news is often designed to leave you anxious and unsure of yourself and stressed out. And it's designed to give you more information than you can use. Like I remember like I got when the whole war started and I'm like reading all this stuff every day. I'm getting it's like what difference for me in Dallas knowing about tank movements in Ukraine, honestly. And it's just freaking me out, getting me. And what I found is the news a lot of times, like the news, it's very hard to love your brother when you're reading about the worst things they do all the time. And you just find yourself hating them. And it's like, this is not helpful. I would say the good news is like, read the news less. Like you probably need like once a week of news talk, maybe once a month. Well, there's a, you know, it's interesting, Jonathan. And I won't friend any of my physical neighbors on social media because I don't want to know what they think. Because <laughs> I actually want to be able to love them. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and you know, and, and alternatively, I want them to know I'm a Christian based on what I talk to them about and how I treat them. Not on because they know my job or because they find my podcast with Jonathan Charks or something like that. I just, I mean, that, no, you're, I couldn't agree more. That's a, you're hitting on just about every major theme of this podcast for the last, you know, two years. So thank you for that. Um, okay, great months. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, what's the last great book you've read, Jonathan? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, the last great book I've read, I would say the book I've really enjoyed the most, um, Lonesome Dove. Oh, okay. All right. I would say that is the great American novel. Okay. Like, People are always say, I got to write the great American novel. It's, it's already been written. <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry. It's already done. And it's not. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's everything. Like Lonesome Dove is just like, it's the one book where I would say, I know it's really big, but it's actually worth it. And it's got, it's just got life, man. There's so much. I'm not sure if he's a Christian or not, the author, but there's a ton of Christian stuff in there. There's a ton of things where you can see redemption forgiveness everything it's just all in it's just life man it's a fantastic book oh man i love that well i was looking forward to this interview and uh and i hope everybody gets to to listen and see why my guest on gospel bound this week has been jonathan charks covers covers basketball for the ringer on indefinite leave jonathan we're we're praying for you we're rooting for you and i will say this you you say that it, you, do, you don't know or you don't feel closer to God or, or, or whatnot, but it's obvious that the Lord is working in your life and he's teaching us. He's helping us. He's helping the church to be the church and to worship God for who he is through your faithfulness in this process. I'm grateful for that. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, thanks. I appreciate you saying that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gospel Bound. For more interviews and to sign up for my newsletter, head over to tgc.org slash gospelbound. 
Rate and review Gospel Bound on your favorite podcast platform so others can join the conversation. Until next time, remember, when we're bound to the gospel, we abound in hope.